0: From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl
1: Polichuk. Welcome to episode 156 of the Killing It podcast. I'm Carl, joined as always by Dave and Ryan and... We have a fun show today, but first there's a question. A little silly fun. Gents, what incredibly strong
0: opinion do you have that is completely unimportant in the grand scheme of things?
1: Well, I will go and just say, just put it out there. I am a big believer in the Oxford comma, and I will fight people on this. I, I will I will like say, screw it. I don't, I'm gonna cancel my afternoon and I'm gonna spend my time on Reddit arguing with people over the Oxford comma, so.
2: And, and by the way, I'm certain that you extra love the people who go, the what comma, and then you explain it to them and get right down into it. Yeah. See, I, I will say, uh, the interweb has had an impact on me in the spirit of, I have always been a grand grammar nudge, and I have learned not to be quite like that because I learned it i don't understand why everybody else can't learn it and and actually use this stuff I, i've had to surrender that opinion because i just i realized it doesn't get me invited to a lot of cocktail parties right so uh the one that i stick to though the one, the one that i absolutely positively stick to is that uh, when i was a child i used to eat like if you've got six different foods on your plate for the family dinner i would eat one then i would eat the next one and i would eat the next one ah. I walked away from that and I feel very strongly about the fact that you gotta mix it up and when people only eat one thing at a time now, it's not like I don't <laughs> like them. It's just that I want them to have a better life and so I will, I, I will advocate the perfect bite
1: and the right mix of food and uh, again, you don't mix up my account. food for me, you get a, you don't get a fork exactly. in the
2: hand. I, I respect you. Yeah, I respect the personal bubble <laughs> of your plate but, I will give you advice about what would be a better way to consume it. <laughs> so my,
0: mine I have intense feelings on, and it, is, and it is a very strong random opinion. I believe 100% that flip-flops are not going out shoes, and they are for only the pool and the shower. And this is an absolute 100% thing. And the only two people on the planet it matters for is me and my wife. And I have told her, I said, absolutely, 100% flip-flops are not going out shoes. You can use them at the pool and at the shower. And that is it, period. And
2: and you're a person who just recently got back from a very warm climate. So I'll bet you that they did not comply for you in in Brazil.
0: Other people are not my problem, is my stance on this. It's always been my stance on this. Other people, not my problem. I am my problem. And I am so, married to my wife, so she and I are a collective, and so this beach? this Breaking opinion does apply. You can you can go to the beach and beach that you can use flip flops at the beach. That does not mean all of the other places. That means the beach. <laughs> yeah,
2: as a part time resident of the state of Hawaii, I will say, you got to learn the wisdom of the slipper. And and you gotta spell it s i s l i p p a h right like slipper
0: it will change your life Dave right? so we'll, we'll sandals like they're all varieties those are all fine the flip flop is where I draw the line and it is and I know this is I have an incredibly strong opinion on this it only applies
1: to me and my wife I don't care what other people do you all so are not total, my note, but because of my arthritis. I have not worn those things where the the thing goes between your first and second toe. The flip, the classic flip flop. I have not worn those in twenty years. Good for you,
0: Carl. I a hundred percent approve of this. This is correct social behavior. <laughs>
2: Dave, Dave I, I offline. We'll have to have a deeper conversation. Is it the looking at other people's feet? Is it other people looking at your feet? Is it the exposure?
0: We're, we're gonna leave. We're gonna move right on. <laughs> To our sponsor this week, SafeDNS, the web filtering solution for MSPs. With an ever-increasing number of cyber attacks and data loss, customers ask how to deal with it. The answer, add an extra layer of protection. Web filtering solution on a DNS level. Deploy SafetyNS and be protected in minutes. With a reseller panel and white-label capability, generate more recurring revenue with AI-powered DNS threat protection, all with 24x7 support. Want to learn more? Visit them at safetyns.com.
1: Excellent. Well, so we we didn't intentionally create a theme this week, but we have a a sort of a minor theme in we told you so. (laughs) And it starts with a couple of years ago, we talked about public databases and how useful they could be publicly available databases and how people are able to do pretty much anything they want with these. Well, we're finding out some new fun stuff as war breaks out in the Ukraine. Uh, a couple things we're going to point to. One is Google Maps, uh, which, as you know, if you've ever opened up the map at whatever, uh 8 o'clock in the morning, you've seen the traffic towards your downtown can be quite congested, and you might be suggested to go alternate routes. Well, early in the war, they were just doing what they do. And up comes this massive traffic jams moving out of, uh, cities that basically they, they had to change their filter and be less accurate. So as not to give up to the minute data about where the Russians might be dropping some bombs, which is pretty amazing. And sort of somewhat related to that is, uh, Flight Radar 24 which if you have not downloaded that app, absolutely get it. Pay the $4 to upgrade. Um, It shows you all the flights in the world today. And we talked about this at the outbreak of the pandemic and how all the flights disappeared over China. Well, right now today, they are posting up regular blog posts about the flight activity over Ukraine. And you can actually, if you have this app, you can just browse over and see what's going on right now today both military and civilian activity over the Ukraine. Uh, So I think this is pretty cool stuff. What do you guys think about the way this technology is sort of accidentally being used in the war?
2: So I have, so my first reaction to it is absolute amazement at the progress and capacity of freely available technologies, right? I grew up in a world of loose lips sink ships. And if you said to anyone anything about when a ship might be sailing or a plane might be flying, it's like, oh no, you can't imagine the consequences. You literally can't hide a flight anymore. You literally cannot not have access via these public satellites to all of that very sophisticated information. Uh, To your point, Carl, um, Flight Aware is an app that I've had for years on my phone. Uh, partly because it'll tell me when other people's flights are arriving or, you know, what's going on at the airports when I'm getting in and give me updates on delays and weather and stuff like that. But mostly I use it specifically for the purpose of going, that's cool. Like looking at a million flights in the country and zooming into an airport and seeing what the flight patterns are like. And I... I get a perverse amount of pleasure out of watching Dallas or Chicago when there's a storm coming up and seeing all of those lines that are converging on the city go into the curly Q patterns and you go, oh, that sucks. I've been on that plane circling outside of Chicago a million times, right? That technology is phenomenally capable. It is available for free. It is, I would say, probably an order of magnitude beyond 10, beyond what they had in the most super secret applications at any point in World War II, right? Like they moved chips around on a physical board. We can see every single flight in the world. I I can't imagine how that doesn't alter the underdog's ability to play defense in this kind of a conflict.
0: And, well, well, the Google Maps data is what really struck me. So, by the way, Google has now actually turned off uh, traffic data entirely in Ukraine because it is proven to be so useful uh, in tracking movements that they just turned it off. Right, and, and the, to it,
1: be honest, the the Flight Radar Twenty Four has shut off the same. They shut off the reporting, yeah. it so it's blank over Ukraine.
0: And it's for me, it was a, it was a lesson in kind of unintended consequences. Uh, was was the real takeaway here? Is is if, if you think like you know when when engineers set out to design traffic management soft you know software, I am reasonably confident that the use case of tracking military troop movements was not part of the thinking of how that data would be used. Uh, I don't blame the engineers on that. What I do observe is is that we we have to be very deliberate on the why of data collection. That if you're going to going to collect data, know what it is intended for, that way when it is used in unintended ways, you can be deliberate about your changes. I this was not the intention of that data. This is something we have determined is a bad outcome to that, and thus we will turn it off turn off its use or make adjustments. By being deliberate about that choice and knowing why you are collecting data, it allows you to make much smarter choices. I think about this a lot from the from the collection, you know, the vast collection of data that is being done by many organizations on people, just on the idea of, well, just in case we need it, or we might need this, or this will be useful. And that's the really ugly space where it can truly be misused when you didn't even have a reason for it to be collected in the first place. And so I I my, my caution here is is that I, I continue to believe that data management is a skill. I believe you can sell that service, but I think anybody that isn't doing it deliberately is going to get themselves into a
1: lot of trouble. It's also interesting to think about the other databases that are out there. I'm in twenty three and me and I did what many people did. I went to look and see how many relatives I have who are registered in Ukraine and in the, the parts of Russia just east of there. And you know, there were a few dots. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if you were tracking somebody's relatives, if this would be a useful tool. So,
2: well, and and as we've talked about before, right? The 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 AirTag from Apple and other database technologies, location aware. It opens up tremendous capabilities, but also comes with great responsibility because it can be deeply misused. And as purveyors of technology, right, those of us who live in the world of doing technology for a living, uh, stop and consider, are you bringing things to market that are benign and entirely innocent, or can they be used incorrectly and then figure out your privacy profiles accordingly, right? So tremendous application of public technology. Our second topic, guys, uh, I wanna jump over to another I told you so, and I remember vividly, our conversation on the topic of deep fake technology. So you guys, if you flash back with me, a couple of years ago, we had a story about how NVIDIA and then others were applying AI technology to recognize faces and then be able to A, produce pictures of faces that don't exist and they looked entirely realistic and then be able to take a picture of somebody else's face and map it onto mine while I talk and then it looks and sounds as though that person is saying and doing things. Okay, we, we talked about that and, and I believe our general consensus was, wow, that could be dangerous and bad and could lead us in, into a world where you cannot trust your lion eyes even in a legal evidentiary sense. So the update on this story, and those, the one that we're going to link to in the show notes, I would highly encourage people to go and, and track this information down. According to the latest research, you and I and other audience members report that we actually trust the deepfake faces more than we trust video of real faces. It speaks a little bit to how how orderly and proportional and symmetrical, all of the images appear and it doesn't have facial tics, right? Like those things where if I lie, my eye goes and people go, I can tell you're bluffing, right? There are none of those in the deep fake technology. And so as a result, the general public thinks that they are more trustworthy. Now, Congratulations, guys, with deepfake technology. You've made important advancements in your technology. From a societal point of view, what do you guys think about these implications?
0: Well, it's, it, it's such a frightening possibility that we can create faces that are then that have bridged the uncanny valley, that people, even with training, they did some testing to see if you could actually train people to detect them, and it only slightly improved their ability to recognize the fakes. And we trust them more. It's like, oh, wow, these are all the scary things all at once. Uh, I, I've been tracking uh, some initiatives by Adobe and several others who are looking at technology for imprinting and tracking the creation of Legit so that you can actually understand the editing process of a video and trace it back to its origin. Uh, it's in the early standard stage, and they're still working it out, but... But that's the, for me, that's the, well, that's the solution, right? Is, is that we need a way of knowing, of legitimizing and tracing data because clearly just trusting humans isn't going to be good enough. Not only is it not good enough, it's actually the opposite of what we want it to be. It is not a trainable
1: skill and our instincts are wrong. So that's bad. <laughs> and, and I would add just a little bit of extra scientific knowledge on top of this. If you haven't read the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, He's got this amazing analysis of how our brain works that first if you see a visual image it's super powerful and your 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 inner your inner super fast brain takes an image and then and then if i literally if i say that's fake but the image already had brought a message with it that message is there and you can't get it out of your brain you literally cannot get it out of your brain you have to train yourself that Oh, no, that's fake. I have to move beyond that. This is why memes are so powerful, because even if they're spreading completely fake news, uh, they make the impression they have the effect that they want to have. So this is a layer of, oh, my God, on top of that, right, because it means that they can fabricate something that we all know. We know it's not real and we'll believe it anyway.
2: Well, and, And and see, that's where you're going to, Carl. It's. The technology has exceeded the human capacity to distinguish real from fake. And I think if we don't begin to impose a restriction that says you can only do this, you can only publish those things if it comes with a watermark, right? Like as in the world of stock photography, uh, a a digital mark across the face that says this is not a real human. I'm kind of getting to that point. I, I don't know if you guys remember several years ago, there was a show called Lie to Me on television. It was on Fox as, as the network. Um, it was Tim Roth is the actor, and he was a police investigator who um, it had, he possessed a phenomenal skill for reading facial muscle tics and being able to discern the subconscious, the nonverbal communication messages, and then that was the basis of a drama series. I found it phenomenally entertaining, and only for the purposes of, <clears throat> can you imagine, If you had that ability to recognize instantaneously who's doing what and who's telling the truth, man, that'd give you such a leg up in the world of communication. We now live in the opposite end of that spectrum. It ain't funny anymore because now the machines can defeat anyone with that. And as, you know, the article, (laughs) in the spirit of happy day, uh, I hope everybody's having a good afternoon. Uh, What they're saying is this technology is already beyond us, and we don't know if we're going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. Now, I I really hope that people in the Star Wars movie universe do not start bringing back Princess Leia again because... I would fight a person over that stuff. But um, that is where we're headed. If you're doing it for purely entertainment purposes, congratulations. But if you are doing it for anything other than that, including posting stupid shit on social media, um, watermark. That's the only thing I can think that
0: can help us.
1: I don't think that would be enforceable. I'm just sorry to tell you that. Well, I mean,
0: it's. That, and and back to the concerns that we had before, now amplified even more. Think about the breakdown of the use of video in a legal context if it cannot be trusted, and that that's where I mean we are at the precipice of that. Imagine the first time someone someone is is uses the deep fake argument uh, as a legal defense, and it cannot be the video cannot be proven, uh, and that will that will be. There will be a moment of that. It will be a moment where there begins to be a breakdown in it without some of the the standards of something like Adobe is looking at unless it can be enforced and rolled out in time in order to do that digital watermarking. And that's the piece that just is – we're in that zone between when things are not well defined and that can be a very, very scary place to be.
1: And both the good news and the bad news is we're early in the process, right? So (laughs) this technology will be better, and the technology for discerning what's real and what's not will also get better. Uh, And there will be somebody who literally is just graduating from elementary school today who will be the master of this technology.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And we will all be the victims of the tyrants of the world who have always said things like, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? Uh, that's gonna become much more common because there, I saw it on video, that has to be true. But you know who I am, the cult of personality will trump the actual world of reality. And I think that gets us into uh, kind of unfortunately what caused our first story. Into- well,
1: and, and in, you know, in the world of news and so forth, ultimately your safe harbor is decide who you trust and then rely on that, even if what you appear to be seeing doesn't fit your preconceived notions of the world. Like sometimes if, if, you, if you pick your source first, then uh, if they come out with something that makes you change your opinion, you got to change your opinion. Well, I will move us on to our third topic, which, while I want to, at first
0: glance, I might want to link it to the SplinterNet. I think it might be a useful way of talking about it. It it has it's definitely a security story. So this one comes from Wired, and it talks about a security researcher uh, who was specifically targeted uh, by. North Korean, uh, North Korea as, a, you know, as, as a, a victim of a hacking campaign that was targeting Western security researchers, trying to steal their hacking tools, detail information about software vulnerabilities. Now, he, he fought them off, managed to keep any, any kind of value, but uh, like a good geek on this kind of thing was... Suitably annoyed at being targeted by by a government, and has all of the oh, skills to <laughs> go to go doing the research himself, and so went forth. Uh, and after letting his quote letting his resentment simmer, uh, he went and did his own research and found new. He says he's found numerous vulnerabilities, known and unpatched vulnerabilities in North Korean systems, and he launched his own denial of service attacks on the entire country Uh, and being as in particular based on North Korea being the kind of government it is and with the highly restricted internet that it it, uh, offers, he pretty much managed to take down the country with his own uh, own attacks. Um, He's a one-man vigilante going after his own attackers uh, and... Did this all because, under the guise of saying essentially the hey, my own government wasn't protecting me from this, so I'm taking things into my, my own hands. Uh, gents, what's your reaction to a one man uh, a set of attacks
1: taking down an entire country? I gotta say, uh, you, you have to go read this article. I love the part where they say, uh, you know, you might think that this is some, you know, global, uh, you know, getting backstory. And then they say, in fact, it was the work of one American in a T-shirt, pajama, pants, and slippers, sitting in his living room night after night, watching alien movies and eating spicy corn snacks. (laughs) And then periodically walking over to see how well his attack on the country was going. Uh, I, I just think that's sort of this beautiful image. I have to say, I would bet a pretty good sum of money that he doesn't answer to a spouse of any kind, uh, or anybody who might say, yeah, are you sure you want to take on North Korea?
2: <laughs> yeah. I, so, A, the first takeaway is the disproportionality of cyber warfare cannot be exaggerated. We've always joked about, like, uh, you know, a, a guy in his basement in his T-shirt and he can do some things to your website and the answer still is yes, that's absolutely true. Now, the second thing is that the, the inherent advantage that you and I have had in the connected world is to be a speck in an ocean and uh, security through obscurity has been our best defense. Like They just don't know who we are as individuals, so they're not necessarily attacking us. That's, that's not true anymore, right? Obviously, the evolution of the threat vectors has led us to a world where that's no longer true. But if that used to be true where a country could not find an individual and now they can, it does redefine the the rules of engagement that say, hey, if you targeted me, I'm gonna target you. But Dave, to your original point, um, the reason that all worked was that it was one mega internet for everybody anywhere on the planet. If you splinter that into two pieces, it got 50% easier to to overwhelm the defensive resources of a country or a website. If you splinter that down into 50 different sub-internets, then by definition, many of them are going to be drastically more vulnerable than they have been. I think the use case here, I don't think one guy's gonna take down Russia. I don't think one guy's going to take down the United States, but North Korea is one heck of a use case, and it does indicate it can happen. So we need to figure out how to control the offensive capabilities of of cybersecurity. Uh, that's not a battle I think we're currently winning. So
0: I, well, I, I I'll, weigh, know,
2: I'll weigh
0: i weigh in with a slightly different angle on this. Is I I continue to sort of expose the I want more law enforcement activity in this space. So here we have an American citizen under attack by a foreign government. It's what it is, right? And and if this was physical, the State Department has response scenarios. There are you know there, there's management for this. If we both both in the country and if we were traveling, like there are very very defined systems for this yet because it's happening online well you know shrug nobody knows what's going on and I I look at this and I say this feels like a need and an opportunity uh, for public services that are devoted around this because by the way it is should not be acceptable to have foreign governments attacking
1: individual citizens, Within the boundaries of their home, like it just feel... the, yeah the borders of the U.S. So what's interesting about that is that if you say it's physical, like somebody's coming after you, well, there's a limit to how many people they can go after and and how invisible they can be and so forth. On the internet, you know this, right? You just spend two x that amount of money, and now you can get to two people, or ten people, or a hundred people, or a million people. Uh, how? could the government respond in a way that this guy would believe it was appropriate? You know, what, what, because he might have some ideas what specifically he wants the government to do. Uh, well, the U.S. government can't like shut down North Korea. He well, can by the, by the way,
0: <laughs> they could.
1: It, it, no, no, they, no, so, right. so, I mean, they can't as a policy.
0: Well, okay. I'm going to challenge, I'm going to challenge the assumption because you know, and I, I said it in an editorial, like, I I don't entirely understand why we've all immediately accepted the fact that every country has the absolute right to communicate with every other country on the Internet. In all circumstances, completely unbridled. We have border controls for some scenarios in some ways, but yet we've just accepted that cyber is, you know, anything. I'm not please do not think that I am necessarily, I am a, a, you know, massive border control kind of person. What I'm just saying is is that we, we use tools in very specific ways in the physical world. We have just accepted that that isn't in cyber, and I'm not convinced that's always 100% true. And by the way, uh, you know, we certainly know that adversaries don't work the same way. We can point to China. We can, as as having their great firewall, they're very controlling of their access. Yet, we just allow anything. Uh, there feels Allowing. like there's a difference between anything and authoritarianism. That that might at least be worth some exploration and nuanced discussion. This is why we have tools and why we have process. I don't expect it to move quickly, but you know, if a country completely abuses their position, you know, and, and there, there are, there should be ways for us to manage
1: that in the Western world. So I would just ask that if we're going to have that discussion, we bring in Tim Berners-Lee and the contract for the web and right, because there's some assumptions that in fact, uh, intergalactic communications through the internet are the default that we we say that we want and so now you're saying except well, when we don't well right? we, we, except but, when you violate this international premise or that well and I and I th- but, but I think but we should
0: invite him right because I think Vernersley Verz- 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 should be a guest is that that there is a certain because ass- I, I don't disagree with the open principles of the web but I, it also does assume some level of com- of of you know directionally focused, that we're not looking to harm and abuse one another. And there are certainly a small group of, of individuals and leaders that do not play nicely. And you know, and, and you have to have some level of it. I, I mean I look and say if we always had if we'd added identity from the beginning to the, the internet, we'd be having a very different conversation about that. We can have a very, very open internet yet also have identity like the two can be linked together and this is my thus my statement of like there are there is nuance here in the middle
2: yep and and that's the problem it is out of the bag the genie is out of the bottle and so the question is can you go back and reimpose the structure of identity if not can you impose rules of the road i think it's a worthy uh, it's a worthy objective and it's worth getting countries together to come to some kludge of a negotiated settlement of what we believe the basic rights and responsibilities are, I think it absolutely begins with the contract for the web. I mean, literally, having read that thing intimately, uh, that's exactly where we begin. And if you could just put some legal teeth into those expectations, we would solve many of our problems.
1: And so we finish with the question of the day, can we put the genie back in the bottle Tune in next time while we answer this question. For now, this has been Episode 156 of the Killing It It!
0: Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.